And when they parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and then the next day to Rhodes, and then from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, Phoenicia, we went abroad and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, where the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And though the Spirit, <clears throat> and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go into Jerusalem. When, <clears throat> when our days were, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the bench, we prayed and said farewell to one, one another. <clears throat> then we went on the board, we went on board the ship, and they returned home. And they returned home. When we fed, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Potalamus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them from one for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to. Um, Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Abagus, Agbus, excuse me, came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said. Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt and deliver him to the, the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. This is the reading of God's word. Go ahead and have a seat, please. So I welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great to have you guys here, whether you're Macabers or whether you're visiting us. Again, I want to say a thanks to the athletes in action who came out and worked in our community. Guys, thanks very much for coming. Gals, it was great to have you. My name is Matthew Rojek along with Alvin and Nate. Uh, we're the three elders at the church. And I would encourage you, uh, we're here for a purpose. We're here to serve you guys. And we're here to also assist Pastor Eric and Pastor Leon. So if you guys have questions and that kind of thing that you'd like to run us by or run by us, we'd love to, we'd love to have discussion with you and relieve some of that time pressure from Pastor Leon and Pastor Eric. So please remember the elders, okay? We'd love to talk with you guys. For the, for the people that are new, one thing we want to do at MacAv is this is just not about gaining knowledge. This is about changed lives. 
as we were praying earlier, I believe Brother Lee was praying, and he said, Lord, you know, bring the word to us that our lives might be changed. That's the point of us meeting. If not, we might as well just leave. So with that being said, I'd encourage you guys, if you have questions while I'm talking, if something is unclear, please raise your hand. And if it's in relationship to what we're talking about, we'll answer it. If it's something we, we can discuss afterwards and you guys want to, I'd be happy to answer your questions. But please, raise your hand, and I am going to ask you guys to participate later as well. Give me some input. I want to go back a little bit. It's been a couple of weeks since Pastor Eric spoke, and he spoke on the last portion of chapter 20. And in that, Pastor uh, discussed that Paul had gathered the elders from Ephesus for a final meeting. And he did so with kind of three things, I think, in mind. One was to say to them, I am innocent of any man's blood because I have not shrunk back from what the Lord Jesus has called me to do. I've preached the gospel in public, and I've preached it home to home. So that's one thing. The other thing is, he said, was that when I'm gone, wolves from within your own congregation are going to rise up, and they're going to speak heresies, and you need to be prepared not only to know that that's going to happen, but you need to be prepared. So look at my life, how I have mimicked Jesus Christ And you do the same so that when these wolves rise up, you can speak clearly to them and denounce their heresy and build up the flock. And then the last thing Paul was doing is he was saying goodbye. From early on, the Holy Spirit has been speaking all through the book of Acts. From the moment of Paul's conversion, from Saul to Paul, the Holy Spirit has said, you're going to suffer. And Paul knew this all along. So... As we enter, uh, what I'm going to do is I'd, I'd like to, we're going to briefly go through the scriptures, and I want to come back and reiterate two major points, and then we're going to head to the application. So there's going to be three points in all that we're going to discuss. So before we do that, let's pray. If you would bow your heads. Father, what a great song. Nothing is wasted. Lord, you take our mistakes. You take our foolish blunders. You take the things that the enemy would uh, use to try to crush us. And, Lord, you turn them for your glory and our betterment. Lord, as we study the Holy Scriptures, Father God, open our ears, open our eyes. May we gain new new perspective, transform our minds that they would become actions in our lives, that those that are around us, Father God, would see the living Christ. Lord, use your word, use my words today, Father God, to penetrate hearts. Soften hearts, Father God. Bring conviction, bring commendation. Our desire is to love you and to honor you, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we're going to look at a couple of brief portions of Scripture, Acts 21, 1 through 6. Uh, The first thing I want to make note is, as I've gone through and read other versions, the NIV and commentaries, when Luke says, when we parted, the word parted literally means, the NIV translates it, tore. And there was a tearing away. When you think about what Paul just did, he said goodbye to the next generation of Pauls. And he was saying goodbye to them, knowing the suffering that he was going to go to, as well as knowing very clearly wolves were going to rise up and try to kill and steal the flock. So, man, this time of parting, if you look at the end end of chapter 20, man, they're weeping as they're saying goodbye to Paul. And yet, man, the Lord in his mercy, what happens in the first six verses? 
God brings another body of believers for Paul to go hang out with. They went cruising on a ship, landed. First thing that they did is they went and found the disciples and hung out with them. And what happens here is I just think it's God's mercy of like camaraderie, what I would call camaraderie of community. Paul just was weeping, and these guys were pleading with him, don't go. And Paul entrusts them and the flock of the congregation that he just left to the hands of the Lord, and Paul moves on to another body. And it says in this that there's a repetition of the warning that's been consistent throughout the Scripture from the Holy Spirit of the sufferings that Paul is going to endure. There's another warning. And then we don't hear any other narrative. We don't hear how Paul and Luke responded to that warning. There's no other narrative, no other conversation in there. And one thing, man, I've really greatly appreciated about both pastors is, you know, they continue to say, ask the questions why. So as I'm praying, as I'm reading, as I'm talking with Eric, as I'm preparing my sermon, I say, why is there no other narrative? And in my mind, I believe very clearly that the point is, it's just that really that one sentence. The point is, the Holy Spirit has consistently been speaking through various believers, different bodies, same voice. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the voice of God. And then afterwards, we see the same thing that happened at the end of uh, chapter 20. Man, husbands, wives, kids all come out, kneel on the beach, because they know that they're saying goodbye to Paul as well, and they pray a great benediction on Paul. You know, my son and daughter-in-law have lived in Germany for about three years, and Betty and I had the opportunity to go visit them a couple times, and we visited numerous countries. And we'd be walking down the street, and I'd hear somebody saying something in English, and if I could tell it was an American, not a you know, German trying to speak English, man, first thing I would do is I'd go find that person, I'd introduce myself to them, hey, where are you from, what are you doing, what are you doing here? And there was an immediate connection, an immediate camaraderie there. And that's just like an like a earthly, natural, fleshy thing. How much more is God repeatedly showing us the camaraderie that's involved in the community of believers as Paul's on this ship sailing all over? You know, and it was brought up earlier, like, man, the time we prayed for the Mass, it's the last two times we've prayed for them. Man, to see the community of this church come, lay hands on them, and be part of Krista and Justin's fears, their struggles, their worries, their concerns. Man, what's the future hold? They didn't know then it wasn't going to be cancer. And to see the body come and lay hands on them, man, what a great joy. What a great opportunity that we were part of that. And then they're on to Ptolemaeus. And again, in my mind, it's a reaffirmation of a unified body of heart and soul and goal. Whole different place, whole different part of the town, different culture probably, but they had the same heart and mind. On to Caesarea, our old friend Philip, it said he was one of the original seven. When Back in Acts 6.3, if you want to look up, that's what that's in reference to. And here's the deal. There's another prophet, Agabus, with a, new, with a declaration. That declaration has been repeated, as I said, since Saul's conversion. This one's got a little bit of a twist in that there was not only a verbal but a visual prophecy where Agabus takes Paul's belt, wraps it around his hands, wraps it around his feet, and reiterates to Paul the sorrow that's ahead. You know, again, I'm praying, I'm thinking through this. I thought to myself, like, if you guys are ever driving down the road and you're listening to the news and you, and you hear some news story 
or, or in history class you hear something. That's one form of communication. But then what happens when you get home and you watch the news or you see pictures of the Holocaust or you see pictures of some great horror that's been perpetrated on mankind? What happens to that communication? It's reinforced in like a second aspect. And I don't know about you, but like, man, then I start getting sick to my stomach as I see these things and I think about them. So think about what's going through Paul's mind. Yeah, I mean, I'm not being sarcastic, but you know, Paul says, yep, I've already heard that before. But this time, man, Agabus is there and his feet and his hands are clasped. And Paul, I mean, just gets reacquainted with the sorrow that's about to come. So in, in wanting to talk to you guys about this, when I look at the scenario from Acts 20.17 through 21.16, I see like a ginormous emotional paradox. I mean, Paul is joyous with uh, the Ephesian elders, knowing that these are probably some of his spiritual children and seeing them grow in Christ. You know, our brother's coming today for the first time to share communion. What's going to happen when we see him in a year or two years or three years and God has continued to grow him? We're going to rejoice in that. You know, Paul, Paul rejoiced and he had great, great joy. But man, then there's the bitter sweetness of knowing wolves are coming. I mean, that, it's guaranteed. Wolves are coming. And also the guarantee that Paul knows in the back of his mind, man, the direction that he's heading is going to be painful and it's going to be sorrowful. And I, I rejoice in that picture in the gospel. Because if we meet as a body and all we talk about are happy things and all we do is celebrate in the prayer cards our, our praises, what about the sorrows? I mean, man, there's some sorrow in here. Rhea is in the midst of sorrow. She just lost her sister. You know, a week ago, Krista was in sorrow, but now she's in rejoicing. And, you know, last week was a Mac group. And, you know, per my prayer request, my wife and I have suffered a great sorrow in the last couple of weeks. And in Mac group, uh, Brian says, hey, Matt, or you know, he didn't say it excited. He says, hey, Matt, like I know you guys have been in sorrow. Would you like to talk? And first thing I said was, no. And then, and then I talked for 15 minutes. And... <laughs> You know, man, I was, I, was, I was sobbing. I mean, I wasn't just crying. I was sobbing through this thing. And, you know, Brian answered, asked a question. So, like, man, like, you know, how can we help you guys? And Megan says, how are you and Betty doing? And, and the joy of living in that kind of community that not only embraces me when I'm happy, but they embrace me when I'm crying. They embrace me when my heart is broken. That's the thing that Paul's going through. And I love Mac Ave for that. I love having conversations in elders' meetings when Eric and Leon are talking about, man, grievous stuff that's happening. And then we can switch and we can rejoice when we see no cancer. We can rejoice as we see the Lord continuing to be faithful. And as Alvin said, we continue to gain testimony of God's faithfulness, of his goodness, that nothing is wasted. Regardless of the circumstances, God can make all things work for his glory and for our betterment. And the joy and the sorrow and that whole mixture and all that jazz that Paul's going through is a joy for us to behold. So let me reiterate a couple of points. There's a wealth of soul that community provides. Now, a bunch of you guys are new here. You know, Mac Ave, man, our, our mantra is discipleship. 
And that's spelled out in a couple of ways. One-on-one relationships where once a week, once every other week, two people are meeting and, man, they're going through the scriptures and they're challenging each other and encouraging each other. And another aspect happens in Mac group. Once a week we meet with the same body of believers. We have dinner. We have communion. We talk about life. We talk about the sermon. We talk about upcoming events. But there, man, hearts are poured out. Sorrows are revealed. Joys are revealed. And, man, community and the fellowship of the body of Christ happens. There's support in sorrow. There's camaraderie as the body is in unison. And there's unity in diversity. I mean, take a look around. Look who's here. Man, white, black, Asian, Hispanic. I mean, man, we got the whole nine yards. What a joy it is. I mean, I would have never associated with Alvin or Ken Morgan if I hadn't been down here. And the wealth of my soul that I've gained from being with another culture and hearing another perspective that, man, I mean, man, my mind was set here. Alvin talks, I'm like, whoa, you know, man, there's a different aspect that I haven't even thought of. I've never tasted what it's like to be black. How could I? But now that I'm in community, I've got opportunity to do that. And, man, I'll tell you what, it's a blast. It's a joy. 57 years old. And although I'm grateful to the Lord for many, many things, one thing I'm grateful for is perspective. You know, my wife Betty and I are 57 years old. We have lived in a variety of circumstances. We've seen things. We've participated in things. And what continues to happen is that my perspective is realigned. I mean, that's why I think foreign missions trips ought to be absolutely mandatory for anybody who's a believer. Man, you go out there and all of a sudden, whoa, that's not what I was thinking. When I look back and I think of the brothers and sisters, Sunday school teachers, pastors, and missionaries that have influenced my life, man, I am grateful for the perspective piece that they brought into my life. So now the pie of my mind is expanded to include these other things where I can grow and my mind can be transformed. You know, my early years as a believer... I think I literally had been born again for two or three months when the pastor allowed us to go up front and do like a three or four or five minute gig on either tithe or communion. And that was the first time as I'm reading through the scriptures, man, clear as a bell, God gave me an analogy of what communion is about. And man, I remember remember where I was. Man, I'm sitting in my mom's living room. It's all dark. It's quiet. And in essence, I heard the voice of God speak to me about what to teach. Those people had influence in my life. I've got two best friends. One, I've known him for 35 years. You guys haven't even been born, and I've known this brother that long. I got another guy, 32 years, that we've been walking the walk of faith. And to see our growth and our challenges, our fears, our frustrations, man, It's great to have friends like that. And then, you know, again, talking about our trip to Germany, I've been on a bunch of foreign missions trips. And to to cross the continent and go somewhere else where they didn't speak English, looked way different than I did, socioeconomic background was completely different. But you know what? There was an immediate connection because we loved Jesus Christ and we served him. It didn't matter what they looked like. It didn't matter whether they had shoes or not, how many meals that they were able to eat per day, man, we were brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm grateful for that perspective. And as I think through that, you know, I'm thinking Paul's thinking through some of those things. The camaraderie of community. 
second part, uh, takeaway, is directly related to the community. And that's the unity that the Holy Spirit brings through diverse bodies of believers, all having one voice. Again, if you look at Acts 9.16, Ananias is getting ready. You know, he's listening to God. They're in conversation. God says, hey, go talk to this Saul dude. And I says, yeah, I'm not sure I want to do that. I've heard pretty nasty things about him. God says, yeah, but I'm going to show Paul the things that he must suffer for my sake for the gospel. Man, that was Paul's first inclination of what his future was to hold. Then you look in 2 Corinthians 11.23, Paul basically says, hey, look what I've already suffered, and I'm down with that. Acts 20, 22 and 23, Acts 21, 1 through 14, the same voice through various bodies of believers, various pockets. It's Paul's, all of his journeys, different countries, different, different locations, but the body was the same because it had the same foundational voice of the Holy Spirit. So I, I want to clarify one thing. From conversion till present, the Holy Spirit has spoken consistently through a varied list to Paul about his sorrows. It appears, and some commentators say, that maybe Paul missed God's will because it didn't heed the warning of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't buy that, um, but I just wanted to make you guys aware. It looks like some of these people that kind of mis, uh, misunderstood. Clearly, Paul knew and was steadfast in determination not to shrink back from the Acts 9 declaration. You know, Hebrews 11.35, I don't think we put that one up on there. Hebrews 11.35, Hebrew, Hebrews 11 is like the Hall of Fame uh, faith chapter. And there's tales of, um, you know, women receiving their dead, uh, the, the dead raised back and, you know, people uh, getting delivered from all kinds of things. And then, man, it breaks right into, and some were tortured, not accepting deliverance, because they were looking for a better resurrection. Paul had a choice here. After the first stoning, after the second stoning, after shipwreck, he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go hang in a pulpit, and I'm just going to preach from the pulpit for a while. But he didn't choose that, and in my mind, because of Hebrews 11.35, Paul was looking for a better resurrection. He was willing to suffer reproach because he had eternity in mind, as well as the voice that spoke to him at the very beginning. So let's move into what I hope to be the application. John MacArthur calls this part of the scriptures, 21, 1 through 14, the courage of conviction. Now here's where I need you guys' help. What does that mean to you? Tell me what courage of conviction means. And don't leave me hanging up here. Ashley? Having faith to follow through with what the, Lord, the, the Spirit of the Lord has told you. Yep, okay. Give me, give me some more. That's... Stepping out of your comfort and expecting to be stepping into God's strength to do the thing that's convicting you. Stepping out of comfort, stepping into God's strength to do the things that... That, that you find your heart that's convicting That your, your convictions are. Marty? being willing to sacrifice something for what you believe in. There's an Old Testament scripture. uh, Man, I'd never even heard it. This is probably 30 years ago that someone brought to me. David says, I will not sacrifice that which has cost me nothing. John? 
Okay? Taking, taking a leap into the unknown, knowing that God's going to have your back. So with some of those in mind, but okay, think of courage and conviction, what we're talking about here. Show, tell me some examples in Paul's life where this was evident. How about stonings? Courage of conviction. He could have said, yeah, no thanks, I'm out of here. Lots of times in Paul's life. I mean, all Paul did. I mean, you know, Eric Russ has been doing a great job. Man, Paul just went from getting hammered to getting hammered to getting hammered to getting hammered. Why is courage of conviction so hard? Aside from the pain. I think it's hard uh, when you look at Hebrews Uh, 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance or evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You know, when things are real black and white or when we have a model right in front of us, it's not hard for me to be convicted that this is hard. But you and I are talking about spiritual things quite often. We're talking about character issues. We're talking about things that are only going to be um, applauded or rewarded or understood completely in eternity. I mean, how can the blood of some guy dying on a cross, I mean, how can that deal with me as a knucklehead? Like, man, it doesn't make sense to me, but I trust in eternity I'm going to understand that. I want to talk about a couple of examples. How many of you guys here, by a show of hands, have, he, have moved into this zip code specifically because of MacAv Church or because you desire to see justice in a broken community? Okay, that's a lot of you. That's courage of conviction. You guys bought homes that are probably never going to make you money. You live in an unsafe community that's fearful, that's confusing, that sucks the life out of you. That's courage of conviction. You guys know that we support a couple, uh, the Hermillers. They're missionaries. So I don't know how many of you guys know the story. Two to three years ago, okay, he was an engineer, five kids, hear the call of God, say we're going to be missionaries, go through fundraising support. I think two years ago, they end up over in a real nasty place in Africa. After a brief, brief stint there, they get kicked out. They come back. What do they say to their supporters? Yeah, we, we thought we heard God's voice. Can you guys still support us? We know we're supposed to be there. So now, you know, they go through the whole fundraising gig again, and now they're in a nasty place in, e- in the Middle East. That's courage of conviction. It would have been really easy to say, gosh, maybe we missed it. I'll go back and be an engineer. I want to tell you a story about a gal, Gladys Allward, missionary, early 1900s. She's in Bible college after her first year in Bible college. Dean calls her in and says, hey, you know, Gladys, you're not that smart. You're 30 years old. You're old. We don't think that you're going to be a good missionary. We just don't, you're not learning the language well. We're going to ask you to exit so that we can put somebody else in who we feel is going to fit that role better. She was devastated because she knew she was called to China. She goes, the guy, the dean had gotten her a job as a housemaid. She goes back and she pulls out. She had, I don't know, half a pence, a penny, puts it on her, uh, her little nightstand table. And she says, Lord, you've got to multiply this. 
I know I'm supposed to go to China. Through an incredible series of miracles, she ends up in China. So she's over there and she's in this town. And she's in her house and there's a knock on the door. She opens the door and it's a, um, a representative of, of the Mandarin. And I assume a Mandarin is like a mayor. She says, what's up? Mandarin wants to see you. And, that, and that's, that's a big call. I mean, she goes over there, walks in. The Mandarin's sitting on his little throne. And the prison warden's right next to him. And he's, he's man, he's fumbling, he's fidgeting, he's sweating. She says, hey, w- w- what am I doing here? He said, well, there's a, a riot in the prison, and we want you to go calm that riot. And she's looking at the prison warden. She says, what about him? He's got, you know, ten guards. Well, they're all afraid they can't do it. And you've told us that you're never going to die because you have eternal life. So have at it. Okay, courage of conviction or not. So she goes there. The guards say, okay, we're going to open these doors. At the end of that tunnel, you're going to walk out, and there's a courtyard, and they're whacking each other to pieces with machetes. She walks through. They lock doors. She walks to the end. She looks. There's guys running around with machetes. One guy's dead. Everybody else is cut. She looks at this guy. She says, you, give me that machete. The guy comes walking up, puts the machete in her hands. She says, the rest of you, clean this up and get in line. She lines him up. And she's, I mean, she's tiny. She's Ashley's size. So a couple of cool things happened from that. She had an incredible prison ministry where she found out, like, why they were doing that. They didn't have any food. Unless your relatives would bring you food, you didn't have food. They didn't have nothing to do. So she bought a loom and she got garden. I mean, it was really sweet. She goes back and the end of her life in this uh, city happens. I mean, a whole bunch of other cool things happen. But the end of her life, it's during the Boxer Revolution. Japanese have invaded China. And this is the last time this town is going to be in existence. The Mandarin calls everybody in because they've, they've, they've got to leave this town. Mandarin calls everybody in and says, Hey, just want to tell you guys, I'm done with Confucius, and I'm going to serve the God of Gladys Allward because he's proven faithful. I mean, man, almost an unbeliever giving an altar call because Gladys had courage of conviction. She saw this thing through. And then the most recent one, the 21 believers who just lost their lives. You talk about courage and conviction. They sure had it. Do you guys have convictions? What's the basis of them? What's the foundation of them? We know that only the scriptures are unshakable. At MacAv, we've got a discipleship binder. It has a bunch of different documents that in our discipleship relationships, we go over these documents to make sure we've all got a righteous mindset of what we're doing here what we're supposed to be about. One of them is called gray areas. And in the gray areas is a little section that my wife and I have deemed our like favorite section of this whole binder. And it's called principles and preferences. Principles in scripture are what I would call the black and whites that we are absolutely firmly convinced on. And let's say 99.9% of Christian believers throughout history have agreed to. Man's a sinner. God is righteous. Man needs help. He can either do it on his own by paying the penalty by going to hell, or he can receive redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. Preferences are alcohol, 
What do the scriptures say? When we, whenever we can, we always go back and look for principle. Principle says don't get drunk. It doesn't say don't drink. So there's many people in here who have chosen to abstain, and that's their preference from the principle. There are other people who choose to drink alcohol, but they still do it, hopefully, after looking at that principle. And I'm going to... Another one. Homeschool, private school, public school. You've got to be convicted to know which one of those you're going to do. We've got all three camps in this congregation. And again, here to me is the camaraderie of community. They don't hate each other that they've chosen the preference of one or the other or the other. They have conversations. Obviously, they disagree. But they live based on the courage of their conviction. And that's a good place to be. Okay, Acts 21, um, 14. What happens here? Holy Spirit prophesies. Paul is not persuaded against his conviction. Luke says, we ceased, and we said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, in nature and in Scripture, they're both clear that God not only created everyone as a unique and valuable, but that his intentions are for us as individuals to have a one-on-one relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And as individuals, it is our responsibility to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Eric is not going to answer for Matthew Roja come day of judgment. I can't blame Eric. can't blame my parents. can't blame Alvin, my discipler. I am responsible for building those convictions in my life. And we do so, I got three ways. First and foremost, as I said earlier, is the principle of Scripture. On everything that we do, we have to search the narrative of Scripture to determine if there's a principle, a black and white principle that can become the foundation of the core of our conviction. Again, Scripture is the only thing that's unshakable. Scripture is the only thing that's going to carry us through to eternity. We also need to seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and his guidance, asking him to speak clearly to us as we set our course of life and ministry in motion based on convictions born out of the provocation and power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. Our convictions, especially, again, we're going to hit this a little bit, but I'm talking gray areas because we don't really almost need conviction on black and white areas. That's a done deal. But because of gray areas, we've got to build those convictions, and that's got to be done because we're individuals who are going to answer individually to Christ as God created us as individuals. I'm an artist. I hate engineering. I worked at an engineering company and asked my wife, I was miserable because that doesn't work with my brain function. God's created us as individuals, and you need to determine how God has created you. And lastly, I mean, the, a, an important component, of course, is the discipleship and aspect, uh, discipleship and community aspect. You know, I'm not this little island of Matthew Rojek floating out here in Christianity. I had Alvin, I've got Nate, I've got Eric, I've got Josh speaking into my life as I'm formulating my preferences to make sure, hey, Matthew, I think you missed this portion of Scripture because you're looking at this aspect but this is the whole narrative of Scripture. 
And as we're talking through things, we have the community of believers speaking into our lives. That's why we did these prayer requests. So we can share our sorrows. We can share our greatest needs. That's why we have Mac Group. So we can pour out our hearts to a body of believers that cares for us. For you athletes in actions or new people here, man, I plead with you, whether it's here or somewhere else, like, man, like get into a community of believers that you can share your heart with, man, that you can cry, you can laugh, and you can grow together where they're going to pound you and say, hey, listen, pal, you're not thinking right correctly here. That's not what the scriptures say. You're missing that component. The black and white of Scripture, we're clear on. So it's the gray areas previously discussed we need to discern. Growing in Christ is an exercise both of time and will. We choose to wait patiently for the Lord. On God, I'm sorry, we choose to wait patiently on God or not. And I, I hope you guys don't mind me using this, but, you know, Kristen and Rhea have a choice right now. They can continue to wait on the Lord or they can get frustrated and say, man, I'm tired of getting beat up. That's courage of conviction. We choose to read, study, meditate, and wait on the Holy Spirit to guide and instruct us. And I think every time I've preached so far, I bring this next set of scriptures up and I just, it's just because I love them. John 7 I'm sorry, John 16, 7 through 15 talks about Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, man, it's expedient that I go away because if I don't go away, the comforter is not going to come. The Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of himself or on his own, but he's going to speak to you the things that he's heard from the Father. I mean, like, come on. That's just rich. The Holy Spirit who communes with the Father, like not at a 9 o'clock morning in the meeting, or in a meeting at 9 o'clock in the morning, but like constantly he's in conversation with the Father. He lives in us. He's the one through provocation and power builds our conviction and gives us the power to live out that conviction. Conviction. We're repeated, repeatedly we're exhorted in the Scripture that the author of Scripture is in us to specifically lead and guide us. And we know that if we're a sheep, we hear his voice, John 10.3. I mean, you guys hear that. We know that's black and white. That's not gray. We don't have to worry about that being gray. Black and white. We know if we're a believer, we hear his voice. You can trust the Holy Spirit. You can trust Scripture that he wants to guide you. He sent us part of the Trinity to live in us for that specific defined purpose. And he's in us. We hear his voice so that we can know and discern his will for our lives, specifically our lives, even as Paul knew God's will for his life. Romans 12, 2 says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Scriptures as foundation to that. We're renewing our mind with Scripture. We're also renewing our mind as we're in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit who's confirmed with the Father to speak to us on gray areas 
to build conviction, and we're asking our brothers and sisters to speak to our heart. Our, our minds are transformed. It says, so we can know and prove what God's will is. I mean, do you guys hear that? We can, we can know God's will. It's just not out there floating. Discernment is a muscle developed through intentional, consistent, specific use. It's clear in Scripture, at overall narrative, but specifically in Acts, that the Holy Spirit speaks and guides. Again, not so that we're isolated islands of Christianity, that's the why and the wherefore of community, but so as we are gifted individuals and we're part of the body, so we can function acting out the giftings of service that God has called us to. In discipleship, let's make sure that we, like Paul, are holding the disciples to live as we do as we're following Christ in the black and whites of Scripture, leaving them through the power of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through discipleship and the Word of God to define their preferences. You know, I think you guys know, I disciple Ken Morgan. Now, if I tried to turn Ken Morgan into a black Matthew Rojak, probably not a good idea. Inasmuch as a black Matthew Rojak who follows Christ and has black and white convictions, yes. But Ken is going to reach a completely different crowd than I'm going to. Ken has completely different um, gifts and talents that I'm not. There's engineers in here. I hope I didn't offend you. But you guys can meet a different group of people than I can. And so my desire is to build in Ken foundational scriptures so that as Ken's walking through life and he's trying to find out his groove, he's asking the Holy Spirit, he's asking through discipleship, through his Mac group, through church. Man, Lord, where do you want to use me? And nothing is more joyous. Ken and I have been on a journey together for about three years. Uh, I, I wish... Well, anyways. Um, and it's been extremely encouraging for me. We work together. Every once in a while, Ken will come in and say, Hey, can I run something by you? He said, man, I, the other day I was reading the scripture and I remembered this other one and like I think they're related, right? And, he, and, he's, and he's forming the bigger picture. He's connecting these things. And this was so cool. Two months ago, I'm sitting in my office. Ken comes in. Hey, can I run something by you? Yeah. He says, man, this morning I was driving in. I pulled into the parking lot and I looked up and on the power wire, there's a whole bunch of birds and they're huddling next to each other because it was cold and they were staying warm. And he said, you know what? He said, I remember that scripture that says, God knows even the sparrows. He knows when one of them falls. And he said, man, I, I saw God knows the sparrows. It says he's going to take care of them. Here he is having them huddle together, and they're getting warm together. Ken is building his knowledge of the scriptures. And, and so we sat down, had a great object lesson. I said, there's a guy that works at our shop who's an unbeliever. I said, Ken, this is a perfect opportunity. Walk out in the, in, in the shop Say, hey, you know, something cool happened to me this morning. Man, I'm driving in, birds on the wire, warm together. Scripture says God knows sparrows. And if he loves sparrows, how much more will he care for us as sons and daughters of God? Perfect evangelism tool. But, like, you see what's happening? The Holy Spirit's speaking to Ken, awakening him in the scripture of the sparrows. Ken sees it in reality, puts two and two together. Praise the Lord. 
So a little bit of a trick question earlier. I asked you guys, do you have convictions? Of course you do. Our lives prove that you either have convictions or you don't. So the better question is, what list of convictions do you have? And what list of convictions would your spouse, your neighbor, your classmates, or your co-workers define as your convictions? If I went over and met some of your neighbors, what would they say are your convictions? Would they have a list? So on to to the applications. I got five of them. I'd really encourage you, write out a list of your convictions and ask your close circle of friends, family, Mac group, discipler, if they see those in you. Ask them to maybe even help you define those. Number two, determine what ones are lacking and make resolution to exercise those into your routine of life. Excuse me. Do you know your giftings? These are God-given and directed, and they're going to assist you in the how and where to of fitting in the body of service. There's lots of different tools that you guys can take to find out your kind of personality type and that kind of thing. And they're just aids. They're not an end-all, but they're an aid in the puzzle of your life, figuring things out. Don't allow diversions to keep you from keeping your hand to the plow. Once you have a conviction from the Holy Spirit, man, I would pray that you guys would lock arms with that thing and walk forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in closing and in last, lastly, as you, you know, a lot of you guys are parents. Some of you guys aren't. But, um, you know, one thing that you learn early on as a parent is how much your kids emulate you when they say things that are, like, sarcastic. Man, that's a bummer. So recognize very clearly that your lives are affecting those that are around you. And my parting question for you guys, and I'd really ask you to mull over this, is, is your affecting of others kingdom-related and oriented, or is it earthly-minded that's going to do no good? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for that song, Nothing is Wasted. Lord, as we fumble through life trying to build convictions, trying to build preferences, trying to figure out who you've created us to be, Lord, even in our stumblings, I believe there's joy in your heart as we exercise faith. You're saying, there's my kid. I know he's tripping, but I'm going to help him. And Lord, you redeem those mistakes in our life. As we come back to you in repentance, your word says that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your word is clear in Romans that you make all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So Lord, help us not be shy in acting out on things that you've called us to, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's awkward, even when it costs us something. Help us as disciplers to give our disciples room to grow and discern God's will for their lives. Help us, Lord, not take for granted 
the third part of the Trinity that you've placed in our lives to give us understanding and wisdom and direction and guidance and conviction. And Lord, please don't let us take for granted that we have holy scriptures that our brothers and sisters don't have or have a page or two. Lord, we know in you is joy unspeakable. But your word says that without faith it's impossible to please you. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. Lord, may we be men and women of faith. Lord, build conviction in us. Build power to see that conviction through. Thank you for discipleship and community, Lord God, for brothers and sisters to speak into our life. We love you, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name.